With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 From Uberworld to 4X, this is a Pratchett Podcast, episode 47. <laughs> Welcome to another project podcast with me, Graham Sheridan, as your host. Now, this month we'll be exploring the book Johnny and the Dead, and I can probably say, well, sort of, this one was sponsored by Dave William. Yes, Dave, the one that's always laughing when I trip over my own feet. Well, it's my own tongue, really. So, and how did Dave sponsor me? Well, Dave was so kind and uh, sent me a spare copy of Johnny and the Dead he had. So, thank you to Dave. This one is sponsored by you. Now, I suppose better move on to things like, well, news? Times! Times! Get your ankle more pork times! Times! Get your ankle more pork times! There's one piece of news worth of note this time around. The fact that Josh Kirby, basically the um, the estate of Josh Kirby, have now put products for sale. Put them up for sale. And if you want to get them, then pop over to Discworld.com because that's where you'll find them. Now, Discworld.com used to be the site for, um, for poor kid bees stuff. And a few of these sort of uh, PTSM prints, what it's what it were called, and now it's all under now under the hat under called Discord.com. So have a look because of the new calendar out for this year, and it's all Josh Kirby's work. Sweet. Well, after that, leave the new members of the watch. Welcome to the watch, Sergeant Detritus. Over there, we'll swear you in. Detritus! Yes, Mr. Vines. Now, for you that may not know it, the new members of the Watch are basically the people who have joined the Facebook group. And it started off as sort of a nice little thing and has turned out to be quite a nice spirit of adventure. <coughs> Possibly. Anyway, if you want to, well, basically join the Watch if you have a Facebook membership. If you look up that sort of, well, there's a little thing that looks like a, well, it's a shape that looks like one of those spyglass things, as the Americans call it, or a magnifying glass, as the Brits call it, and Australians and Canadians are somewhere in between. Um, if you click on that, type in the Pratchett Podcast, 
and you should find us quite easily. So, I shall start listing off. Molly Garvey, Orsa Nielsen, yeah, I had to actually search that one, so I'll give some something, anyway, <coughs> carrying on, Athena Savage, Zarabeth Davis, and Tanya Lee Stewart. So, well, that was good. Old ladies. I like that. So, if you want to, like I say, if you want to join the watch, and uh, you're a member of the Facebook, then, as I say, in the search field, just put in the Pratchett Podcast, and you shall find us. Click on that, and I shall put you into the group as soon as I possibly can. Work and other things permitting. Oh, after this, well, this is moving quite nicely. We're on to Collins. Clacks. Clacks. So, this one from Colin, as I say, and it's basically his version, his version, his <laughs> review of Johnny and the Dead. So, we shall start. Nur du kannst sie verstehen. Which, according to Wikipedia, is not Johnny and the Dead. Uh, <clears throat> why, okay. The efficient Germans wishing to continue the Only You title theme. Yeah, there was a few sort of mixy-ups and... Uh, yeah, at least the book is relatively well edited after that. Anyway, this is the second book in the Johnny Maxwell series, and I have to admit it's always been my least favourite of three. That's odd. That was perhaps it... perhaps to do... It I disservice. Okay, tripping around. Yeah, Dave will be laughing his his um, boobies off. Listening to it for the first time, this time I felt that maybe I have underrated this book. Well, I would say so. <coughs> uh, the book picks up presumably a few months own, a few months after the events of Only You Can Save My Kind, as Johnny is still twelve for some reason. I thought more time had passed. I presumed there was a year between publication of book one and two. There was a year in, in book time. Published in 1993, this is very 1990s Britain. The town of Blackbury has expanded somewhat for this story, and we get to hear how the name, how in the name of progress, the old high street was dug up and replaced by the by a mall. That people are very afraid at night. The Joshua Joshua Clement Clement block had been over uh, built over some. Old Terry Streets, I think Terry was making a statement. Very unusually, in a very ter in a Terry Pratchett novel, we get a non-PC moment. Not racist, because Terry was careful about that, or would use one, uh, use one to make a point. But the way that this sequence was worded, it came across as uh, a slightly political, incorrect, against uh, people who are gay. And... I am being careful in my wording here. I am 100% sure it was unintentional because if it was not, a larger deal would have been made of it. But it does show that in at least in the last 20 years, how attitudes have completely changed. Especially if if I notice it, I usually have to uh, have such things pointed out to me in large type. It's just a couple of lines, but they stood out in audio. But I really do like the way uh, the boys, Kirsty is absent from this book, probably being good at something, so footnote to that, uh, relate to each other. 
their often inane conversations seem to be very natural, except there may be more swearing in reality. Yeah, that's true. That was a footnote to that. Along with their worldview of 1993, there is a part of this book that I have always been found quite moving to read. This is the story of Tommy Atkins and the Blackberry Pals, especially his funeral and the conversation with Mr. Attenbury. And then the Bells turning up to march Tommy Atkins back to France. This emotional sequence is unusual from a Terry Pratchett book, and I'll expand on this more when we get to Nation Review. It's one thing this uh, one thing Discworld series really did, if ever. I can only think of one which is in thud. I'm not sure if it was intentional. Discworld is funny, satirical, powerful, but this is rarely moving. It is difficult to explain, if you will excuse yet another Doctor Who analogy. It's the difference between Stephen Moffat and Russell T. D., uh, Russell T. Davis era, both big and funny, dark, powerful, uh, but the Russell T. Davis uh, era often made you cry. Moffat rarely does. I can think of one episode that did it very well, Colin. Yeah, it had something to do with a, a painter of Dutch origin. Anyway, I continue. As I previously mentioned, I listened to this on an unabridged audio. Again, ready... Uh, we'll start again on this one. As I previously mentioned, I listened to this on unabridged audio. Again, read. Red Colin, not ready. Read by Richard Mitchley. He is a good reader, but he does seem to be a bit limited in his terms of voice as compared to Mr. Briggs. For example, Big Mac and Wobbler sound alike, too alike. Stephen reuses voices from book to book. Footnote. Sergeant Jackram apparently turning up as a minor character in Going Postal. to throw me a bit. The disadvantage of listening to books too close together too often. <laughs> so, getting back. But... He never does it in the same book. Also, Metzley does an unusual pronouncing, pronunciation of M Mrs. Tachyon. Yes, it's Tachyon, which, understand, which I understand should be pronounced similar to the faster-than-light particles Tachyon. Yeah, Tachyon. That's how Colin wrote it, which is absolutely well uh, put down. He does it Tachyon. Yeah, it was a bit... Ah, yes. Ah, I knew it was something there. Cheers, Colin. I thought I had a brain fart. Anyway, lastly, there's a children's ITV 1994 production of this book, which I shall review separately as not to spoil this positive review. In conclusion, this is a brilliant, albeit slightly short book, which has slightly ambiguous ending. Most of the plot threads are tied up, but not Mr. Grimm's. We don't really know what happened to him, which is refreshing in a children's book. Cheers. Colin. So, if you want to send it in a clax and not leave Colin all on his alonesome, then you can send it in to pratchettpodcast at gmail.com. That's pratchettpodcast at gmail.com. Now, if you are a friend of mine or you are in the Facebook group, then you can always alternatively, alternatively, yeah, tripping over my own tongue again. You can alternatively send me a message and I'll get it that way. So there's two ways. You can either go to pratchettpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message over Facebook either to me personally or over the Facebook group. So, what have we got next? So, so, so. I oh know that noise, Colin. Sorry. 
Yes. I should suspect it would be the Fool's Guild. But we're calling in a bit. So Colin was out and about again, and it's guards, guards to play. Oh, it's well, I say out and about. I'll let him explain. It's playtime again. This time on YouTube. It's guards, guards preferred, performed professionally in 1999, adapted by Jeffrey Cush, and directed by Peter Benedict, starring Paul Darrow as Victor as Captain Vimes. I say Victor Vimes. Huh. Captain Vimes. Now. Yes, we all know. Yeah, Paul Darrow. That's the guy, Avon. You know, Blake Seven. Go to YouTube, type in Blake Seven and Avon. And you'll find out what we mean. And then you'll know why this review will probably be like this. I've done a bit of digging, says Colin, and have discovered an old webpage on lspace.org. Full link at the bottom. There's a full link at you. Oh, at the bottom. At the bottom of the page, not on your bottom. Okay. And this place seems to be part of a tour that was done in early 1998. Now, this immediately contradicts the 1999 year mentioned in the YouTube comments. But it does not say for how long the play toured. It was staged in various, uh, various venues around the country, from London to Edinburgh, Eastbourne to Aberdeen. Recording that was uploaded to YouTube is from a matinee performance, I would say quite far into the run, as all the actors seem to be comfortable in their roles. Oh, that's very good. <clears throat> now, to the unfortunate piece. The recording technology has come a long way in the last 17 years. At a guess, this was recorded on tape as we copied it a number of times. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was recorded on, um, you know, like these. We call them digital tapes, but not quite digital. They're on the way, though. Um, the quality reminded me of the third or fourth generation video tapes that I came across in the 1980s. I'll put pause in there. Um, Colin, will you by any chance uh, trying to get hold of uh, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2? The ones that were sort of banned for an extremely long time? Hmm? Anyway, getting back to Colin's plaques. Of black and white Doctor Who episodes. Hmm. He says that. But I still, I still stand by what I said. Anyway. <clears throat> Here, at least, it was in colour. But the picture was quality is fuzzy and detail is lost, especially when played on a large screen. Sound quality also suffered. This is a great pity because the play is brilliant. Jeffrey Cush has adapted it as a comedy piece, and whilst the actors on the whole play their characters straight, they do not use the audience to build upon the laughs. The way the uh, they do use the audience to build up, I certainly not. <coughs> Sorry, Colin. They do not use the audience build up on upon the laughs the way they tend uh, they oh, the way they do this leads me to believe colin uh that the recording is quite uh oh, i'm sorry people i am tripping over my own tongue again so we'll start this again shall we the way they do this leads me to believe the recording is quite well into the tour they have learned where the biggest last will be. Why do I have to go into a Paul Daniel style voice just to read that bit? Ah! Anyway, I continue. 
no part is played badly. Poor Darrow is Vimes, or at least the early Vimes. Now, for those of you who may recognise the name, Poor Darrow is best known for playing uh, the the uh, character Avon in BBC series Blake 7. I told you that already. <clears throat> and being in Doctor Who story fans would like to forget. Well, I don't know. It was alright. And there were worse. Um, I, I think of Paradise Towers. <laughs> I really hate that story. But uh, Paul Darrow wasn't in that one. No, there was another loved British actor in that one. Anyway, I continue. There are those who doubt his acting abilities. I regard them to be fools. He had the audience in the palm of his hand. Yeah, that's because he's done seasons of pantomime. <clears throat> there is one scene where Vimes is taking pictures of the wading bird's footprints with an iconograph. And the scene is entirely is entirely led up to a hilarious... A hilarious Hilariously terrible Gottlagir joke. This joke is so bad that Paul breaks character to apologise to the audience for doing it. S uh, says, saying it's in the script, they made me do it, getting an even bigger laugh in the process. <laughs> I would like reference. I like to reference some of the other characters, Colin. Uh, other actors and the L space page does give their names but annoyingly does not say who played what. Characters played superbly, well done, and brings all the all the naive, simple nature that we come to expect from an earlier version of this character. From his large and completely non-magical sword to his protective and flaming red hair. He has some of the best lines and lead lines to Vimes. Feeding lines, uh, technically. Uh, Colin and Nobby are also well done. From certain angles, I'd swear the person playing Nobby, I was doing a Baldrick impersonation. Yeah, I kind of thought about that. That's that's a good point there, Colin, because that's exactly who I think of when I think of Nobby. Uh, I think of Baldrick that steals. It's slightly brighter, but you know, still Baldrick. Anyway, the Patrician was one of the few characters with which I had an issue. But only because the Mr. Briggs version from the audiobooks is so ingrained. Yeah, that's a shame. The librarian was done very well. About as well as you can do a small person in a mm, primate suit. The don't call me a monkey charade between him and Carrie was brilliant. It's not from the book. It doesn't need to be in there. It was played purely for entertainment and it works. However... There was one thing that upstaged all the characters whenever it was on stage. Errol played via puppets. I missed uh, an entire, what may have been quite important, conversation between Vimes and Sybil because I was watching the little red dragon. It was played a bit uh, like a uh, silent basil brush. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, yeah. The 1970s version, back when it was good. Yeah, I've watched the 1970s version again. Yeah, it's still pretty good. I stole all the scenes in which it appeared. I also had the impression that for this performance, Terry himself may have been in the audience because the actor playing Dibbler directly references him at one point. The only issue I have, and the same one I have with the book, it's with the Vimes character. I cannot relate this character to the other Watch books, especially Nightwatch. I have issues. I have notes. Graham, perhaps we can have a discussion about this. Okay, that makes for a, a um, I think that makes for a, yeah, 
I think it makes for a podcast, so I need to see if I can link up with Colin. <clears throat> Lastly, one significant contributor to this performance was the audience itself. Compared to the showing of the last Hero audience, also available on YouTube, where there was only a few titters, the audience were switched on, engaged, occasionally uh, berated and insulted, and thoroughly enjoyed themselves. If you can cope with a bad picture and sound quality, it's well worth viewing. Runtime is approximately 130 minutes, similar to your standard movie. Uh, on first watch, I rate it uh, 11 out of 10. It pips the Cardiff production of Going Postal. Now, I need someone to do the Mr. Briggs version for comparison. Cheers, Colin. So, the Lspace is lspace.org backslash fandom backslash events backslash plays backslash guards guards as one word backslash 1998 backslash spring minus UK tour punked HTML. Ooh, yeah, an afterword from Colin. On YouTube, you always get uh, recommended videos on this play. I got the last hero, seen it. Weird sisters. Weird sisters. More bloody weird sisters. And a lot of naughty stuff that should not have been there. No, Graham, not that sort of stuff. Like Cosgrove Hall and Sky stuff. Oh, yes, I know what you mean. Uh, but then up pop Witches Abroad, I tested for sound quality and thought, I recognise that stage, that's Cardiff. It's been uploaded by the director of Monstrous Productions, who did a brilliant going postal in August. So this one's next on the list when I get a free evening. And maybe in the next podcast. It depends on how Colin's stretched it for time. Cheers, Colin. Despite me struggling with that. Alright, um, <clears throat> so you can also sort of do reviews. They come under the uh, what I call the Fool's Guild, which is uh, fun things that are not quite clax area. That is uh, something not to do with a specific podcast, but are Terry Patchett and fun or of Terry Natchett, uh, nature. There is also, uh, if you want to send in uh, things like what Terry means or has meant to you in that, I have a another section called Small Gods uh, Cemetery, uh, which you could, if you want to see what Terry's meant to you and all that, you can send me an email in and I'll put them in. Not a problem. I'll be quite happy to read them out. So, after all that, it's about time to get on with readings and, um, yeah, reviews. Back in a bit. There was the older man and William Stickers and an old woman in a long dress and a hat covered in fruit and some small children running on her head and dozens, hundreds of others. They didn't lurch, they didn't ooze any green, they just looked grey and very slightly out of focus. You notice things when you're terrified, little details grow bigger. They realised there were differences among the dead. Mr Vicente had almost, well, looked alive. William Stickers was slightly more colourless. The alderman was definitely transparent around the edges. But many of the others, in Victorian clothes and odd assortments of coats and breeches from earlier ages, were almost completely without colour and almost without substance, so that they were little more than shaped air, but air that walked. It wasn't that they had faded, it was just that they were further away in some strange direction that had nothing much to do with the normal three. Up this morning and the streets were full of cars All bright and shiny like they just arrived from Mars And as I stumbled through last night's drunken debris 
paper boy screamed out the headlines in the street. Another war, and now the pound is looking weak. And tell me, have you read about the latest freak? Well, bingo numbers and our names are obsolete. Why do I feel bitter when I should be feeling sweet? Hello, hello. Turn your radio on. Is there anybody out there? Help me sing my song. Anybody recognise that song? It's in the book. <laughs> so, we should be getting on with Johnny and the Dead. Now, the book came out originally in 1993. After Only You Can Save My Kind was in 1992. Uh, it was released in 1994 by Corgi and Paperback. And the ISBN number is 0385. Four zero three zero one one, and basically, well, we're carrying on with the story of Johnny. Johnny's still a twelve-year-old boy, as Colin has also mentioned, and uh, he was taking a shortcut through the local Blackberry Cemetery to reach his home. When, in a spirit of Alderman Thomas Bowler comes across his way. And why? He was told to go and knock on the door. Mm. And so the fun and frivolity starts there. Now, the thing is that Johnny's the only one of his people, or his group, that can actually see when they're tall. And this does make for some interesting reading, because you get the sort of the usual thing going on there, you know, kids, I don't believe you, I don't believe you, sort of stuff going on. And, but also later discussed in the book is also the fact that it's odd when things like aliens would come up and say hello to you, direct to your face, and lots of people would see them, that how quickly after they're gone, the human brain will start saying, nah, that was only pretend. Now this sort of thing um, is actually happening. How about something relative to my sort of what I think is recent times. And that's the fact that a lot of people are denying that the Holocaust ever happened. So you can have sort of a parallel sort of idea of what's going on here. Now there are also bits and bobs in the book that I find interesting is the fact that you have this is 1993 this book came out and the last of the World War One survivors are steadily all now one after the other dying off and you know there's very few with quite quite an age uh, of the you know reached obviously been well over 100 these days. Uh, I think we've come to the point now that we basically have seen probably the last of the survivors. There is 110 and 100 and almost 120 years old. 
typically say uh, as I'm gone. It's all starting to come to the point where soldiers from World War Two are uh, now a rare thing as well. But I love how the way that the uh, it goes into the fact of how things in World War One also took place uh, with a little inside story in this about uh, about the Blackberry Pals and uh, the last remaining guy, Tommy Atkins. Now, found absolutely brilliant that they would do such a thing. Or they say Terry would do such a thing. Uh, there's a lot of history that has gone to the, gone to the side and uh, has been forgotten about. Uh, the fact that there were literally whole streets and whole villages uh, had completely lost their entire population of men of a certain age, you know, of a certain, I say certain age, from 18 onwards, but there were some 16 and 15 year olds mixed among them, trying to pass themselves off as older, and they were quite literally wiped out. Oh, it's lovely to see that that, that sort of stuff was, um, you know, brought to the... Um, Brought to the fore. Now, this is also the, the fact that uh, in the UK, compared with Germany, uh, you still have a lot of cemeteries, graveyards, and the like. And there's ancient st you know, the stones, and the graves are still all there. Which, compared to Germany, is a bit of you know a bit of a difference. You know, once you're buried in the UK, you're buried, and it's very not unusual, but unlikely that your grave will be dug up and you'll be put into uh, into an acropolis which compared with here in Germany is the fact that they usually are these places are sold for 30 years and at the 30 year point if there's anybody still alive in the family then they pay on and say uh, they pay to keep the grave for another 30 and so on and so good until the point where it's not really looked after. That's sort of the main differences. So, here it's not so much a concern that a graveyard would be forgotten, like in the UK, maybe, and such a thing like, uh, yeah, so with a big firm will come along and try and build something on an old burial ground. Now, the characters of the, of course, there are souls and a ghost. Are quite interesting, especially the, uh, the character of Mr. Facenzi, who was, you know, there were characters like this as I was growing up, and they all seem to have, well, obviously died, and they all seem to have disappeared, but there were characters like this that I knew of. So, how did the story? I'm getting in about the story. Well, uh, basically, uh, their fact is Johnny is trying to stop uh, the graveyard being demolished because he can see these ghosts. And Big Mac and his pals try to help him as they can, even though most of the time they don't believe him. And of course, the story turns around and plays around Halloween. Now, without getting towards a spoiler at the end, there was something towards the sort of end of the book that I found was seems to be a sort of trope. Uh, 
as a fact uh, that thugs paid for money and uh, we'll go in and uh, we'll try and say well you can't believe kids and kids are not to be believed and all that sort of stuff and don't know if that's changed any of what some of these days it's something sort of give you to ponder about you know as if you know kids are believed but not believed not sure if anything's much changed now there's plenty to laugh about in the book there are um, things as such as uh, Solomon Einstein one of the characters who is a distant cousin from Albert Einstein who has probably just as much the brilliance of Einstein but became a taxidermist instead and um, because of that uh, he comes up with a lot of my favourite lines particular one to do with uh, thinking time and as a taxidermist having his hands buried deep in a badger that he's currently stuffing lots of laugh out loud moments An absolutely fantastic book recommendation you betcha I'm glad Colin managed to get round to listening to this on audiobook. Now, Colin's already mentioned the reader. Uh, I found his reading style brilliant. Uh, apart from that, he does. He says there are two names. It's not just uh, Mrs. Tachyon that gets pronounced, but I would suspect is wrong. There's one other character I found um, because Terry's playing on words as he likes to do. Uh, Mrs. Tachyon, who can sort of feel the pulses <laughs> of the of the uh, the deceased around her, and just basically has a good time with it. Uh, but also, a sort of interesting thoughts on this book as well, and the fact that uh, sort of what well, some would suspect, because energy changes form, and I'll say no much more because otherwise I will spoil the book, no end. Say, so, I really enjoyed the book. Once again, I'd like to thank Dave Williams um, for being able to give me his one of his spare copies. I enjoyed having it in the hand, and I enjoy, it's a, it's a proper hardback version as well from, from Doubleday. So I'm quite proud to own this book now. Thanks very much, Dave. Know how much this, you know, I really appreciate this. Yeah, to be honest, um, I'm not going to go down, you know, be down out on the next Johnny book, but uh, to be quite honest, this is my favourite of the uh, three books. Uh, probably because of something to do with my sort of taste in films and all that sort of stuff. Uh, books out of five. Yeah, go on, five. I can't feel it. I don't see anything wrong with it. You know, okay, it's it, it's sort of short at the end. Um, because things happen in a bit of a quick pace, but it's not the first book I've had like that. So I have no real big complaints at all. So it's definite five. So get out there. Go and read it. I'm going to have to look up the TV series. And there's also the TV series for Johnny the Bomb. So maybe later. That's another couple of podcasts to add. Hmm. Sounds like a good idea. 
So I'm recording this now, this part, the day after it's supposed to come out, due to the fact that I had to go and take the little werewolf and the cat to the vets to get their injections. And so they've been away for a while. And there was a big long queue, and I was sat at well over two and a half hours before we got in to see the vet. And then they got the injections, and we're out within seven minutes. So I apologise for this being a day late. So if you want to get in contact with me, you can write to me at pratchettpodcast at gmail.com. That is pratchettpodcast at gmail.com. As I've said, if you're a member of Facebook, you can go and hit the Facebook group, which is The Pratchett Podcast. Put it in a little search bar, you'll find it, and I'll get you into the group as quick as possible. You can also send me a message. If you're a friend of mine and you know how to get a hold of me, if you want to send in any sort of detailing, and if you hear anything, that is the werewolf turning over in her sleep. Sleep a little bit on Wednesday. Let's have a go. So, I will catch you next month with a tale from where I live. Basically, here in the area of Bad Blintz, otherwise known as Landkreis Hameln Bad Piemont. It's a tale about rats and a cat and a boy who just wants to play his... <clears throat> Clean mind there, Dave. Clean mind. Bye for now. If you want to contact us, then you can try through the Facebook group, The Pratchett Podcast. You can also get in contact over the email. Pratchettpodcast at gmail.com Also on Twitter. You, you librarian. He keeps saying ook all the time. Who knows why? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.